Welcome to episode 260 of the In Squash podcast and uh, round one of Optasia in London at the Wimbledon Club came to a conclusion yesterday and uh, who better to have on the pod to talk about the event than the event organizer himself, Danny Lee. His son was just on the podcast uh, two episodes back and uh, now Danny's back on. I believe this might be his third appearance if I'm not mistaken, second definitely, but there's lots to talk about uh, as well including uh, his son Charlie's round one win uh, over Rafa Kandra. Uh, uh, that would have been uh, amazing to be in the building for that one. Uh, the implications also for world number one at this event with both uh, Diego Elias and uh, Mohamed El Shabagi with a chance to take over number one uh, this week. If either of them win uh, the event, then uh, that person would take over world number one. And also we'll get his thoughts, uh, hopefully, on uh, Mustafa, the Mustafa Saul suspension, because it did have a direct impact uh, on the Aptasia draw. Obviously, uh, Mustafa was seeded one, and uh, the suspension came down just two days ago, and uh, we'll get Danny's thoughts on that with any luck. But before we get into it, we'll get into it right away here, let's just talk about Open Squash. Open Squash, the non squash nonprofit whose mission is to open access to squash to the general public that's how they got their name open squash it's the expression of their mission statement their designation as a nonprofit means just that they don't make a profit 100% of the money they generate is put back into making squash more accessible this happens primarily through their junior scholarship fund and their membership support fund you should really check out their swag page where they have a great selection of tees and hoodies. The Rally On Tee, the Squash Shoe of Liberty Tee, the Wordmark Tee, and the Open Squash Zip Hoodie. Check this out on the website at opensquash.org where all proceeds from the swag page there go towards the Junior Scholarship Fund. Now, without further ado, really happy to have him back on Danny lead talking about the Optasia squash championships good to see you see you too you're right yeah you're up uh, i guess you've got full full days now for the for the next uh at least the next week though big yeah with the with the Optasia. yeah yeah busier uh, than usual <laughs> yeah it seems to be getting busier every year but yeah, at well, least at least we had a trial run last year in the new venue. That's right. Uh, the same venue as last year, is it? Yes, it's at the Wimbledon Club. Just okay. had a mess- message from my brother to say he couldn't find it. <laughs> right. Well, uh, well, Danny, it's really uh, really great to have you back on. And uh, first of all, day one, I must say, uh, uh, obviously, it's complete. And uh, it, what a way to kick things off. Yeah, um, with, with with your son actually, uh, uh, Charlie winning uh, as well. So, so it must have been a, a huge day uh, for you and the event. Yeah, it was a huge day because um, when you're running a tournament, you just want it to be smooth and successful. We've had things before where there might be an issue with the TV, or an issue with a player, or an issue with an official, or something, and basically nothing nothing went wrong. One of the referees. Flights was late, but apart from that, everything was smooth, and we we didn't barely we barely had a contentious issue all day. We had high high quality squash, mm. a couple of surprises, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So 
good success. And and for you know one o'clock in the afternoon, we had a hundred over a hundred people in there, and then about a hundred and sixty or seventy for Charlie's match and stuff. So that was good. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air, isn't it? I mean, uh, on the heels of uh, the uh, success of Canary, I mean, you obviously you watched that in the. It was uh, filled from uh, filled from round one through to the end, and uh, the same uh, applies to uh, to Optasia there. So, uh, just uh, just wanting to you know go back to to Charlie there for a second. Uh, uh, there was a great picture of you and him on court uh, with you interviewing him. So uh, after the match, what was the, obviously, uh, how did you feel about the win? It was a, it was a good one over, you know, Rafa Kandra, who's uh, an experienced uh, player and he's, he's been at the, I think top 10 actually uh, in the world before um, he could have been anyways. Um, just wondering what that match uh, meant to you and what was it like interviewing Charlie there at the, uh, the end? <laughs> Well, I've had a little bit of practice over the years, um, like interviewing him at George Hill and uh, obviously had to interview Joe last year in the Octasia as, as well. So, yeah, you just treat it – obviously I was very proud, but you just treat it like another another guy that you're interviewing and like obviously with a bit more personal insight, you can um, probably throw in better questions with somebody you really know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But the the excitement there for that match was uh, it was palpable. Yeah, I thought that Rafa played pretty well. You know, people were telling me that Charlie could win or should win and whatever. But you know, you've still got to go out there and do it. And I don't quite know. I thought he threw everything at him and he went six love up. And um, Charlie was getting caught by some of his little deceptive flicks at the front mm. on on a too regular basis and. Uh, you know, great comeback. Uh, I think he. What's so satisfying about Charlie's performance, and is he? Uh, he's putting into place all the new things he's learning. But a lot of that is mental. Mm. Um, well, nobody ever doubted his ability, apart from him, apart from himself, really. And I think uh, that's the biggest change. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll get back to Charlie in a little bit later if we've got time, because uh, obviously he's had a pretty successful uh, couple of uh, well, successful 2023 so far. But, uh, you know, just in terms of the event, um, there were a few issues uh, heading into the event. Obviously, the big one, uh, the pending suspension of, uh, of world number one, Mustafa Saul. And uh, I guess you knew that was coming. It came down a couple of days prior to the event uh it's not ideal losing uh the world number one just before the event starts and he's uh, supposed to play in it but uh how did that all play out for you well stacy uh ross who's the pro at the wimbledon club he printed out the programs on behalf of the wimbledon club with the drawer in and all that sort of stuff so that was a pain when when that happened, it lit, it was a bit later than you. We had rumours, but um, we were told if it got to six o'clock on um, the uh, on the Monday uh, before the tournament started on the Tuesday, then he couldn't be banned. And uh, I only found out at five eighteen or something, so it really was the eleventh hour. Mm. Uh, and so you know, it's a dif difficult one as a promoter. I mean, I have, I've had people wanting their money back. Because he's not in the tournament, um, mm. I I have no firm opinion either way on him because I haven't seen him live in the 
in the flesh playing maybe put a little bit as a junior but not not recently so uh, but it did did kick up a bit of a furor and uh, i'm sure that um you know he's a fantastic player and one day we'll we'll welcome him to the to the club let's see what pans out in the future yeah he's i think he's one i mean i i've had him on the podcast like i think three times and he's obviously a very very polarizing guy i mean you go out there on the squash uh on the squash forums and the they people either love him or they hate him. That, that that's there's no in between it seems. Uh but obviously he's got sorry. Yeah. I, I described him as a Marmite character in the a write up I did at the tournament before. You right. either love it. As you said, you know. Yeah. So I mean um I guess over I, I think in the last couple of events, uh especially Canary, I watched his matches and uh you know the movement issues that have caused him issues coming uh, that that have led to the suspension weren't there. It was very you know his movement was pretty good, but uh, you know the suspension is based on three or four different uh, incidents, so that's why it came down. But uh, you know uh, I guess you haven't seen him play that much, so you don't really have much of an opinion on on the suspension or about him as a as a player because he is a he's quite an affable, uh, likable person when you see him and meet with him sort of face to face in a friendly way in a social way yeah i was i was looking forward to meeting him and forming my own opinions personally i've obviously seen him play and he's a great he's a great player and you know there's there were issues the, the these issues that he was banned for actually happened six months six months or so ago um and what there was a all this stuff has to be kept quiet because it's legal, but um, it, it, he was probably about to be banned and fought it legally. So, um, and the results by the independent panel only came to light and the um, defined, you know, the subsequent hearing, which was last week at Canary Wharf, unfortunate timing for him. Um, and then the actual ban, which nobody knew it could have happened the day of the Octasia, in which case he would have, missed the worlds and played the Octasia or it could have happened the day before, in which case he misses, missed the Octasia and played the world. So, uh, yeah, it was one of those things. So he wasn't banned for anything he did at Canary Wharf or anything like that. It was all for, all for dated offenses, which he appealed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the appeal process, I, I mean, obviously it was timed to the minute, as you mentioned, right. Uh, it just seemed like obviously he, he'd want to play in the world's, uh, and so they, you know, the timing of it, I guess, allowed him that opportunity. Maybe the PSA decided that they would give him that opportunity, suspend him for six months or six weeks and allow him to, you know, at least play in that event despite uh, the suspension. It was was meant to be a totally independent panel that knew nothing about squash. And that's why all the decisions and the... Um... And the uh, the uh, appeal that he had on on the Thursday were meant to be completely random, but you know that's why it's a, it was strange timing. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, it sounds like they must have been privy to uh, to something here. But uh, anyways, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll, sorry, what was that, Danny? We'll we'll leave it at that. But they were they. they <laughs> Completely independent should should mean uh, that they it was just coincidence. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, let's leave it at that. But let, let's talk more about Aptasia. Aptasia is a, a new sponsor for the event, right? No, that's Channel Vass. Channel, oh, is it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Could you just fill us in on that? I, I wasn't, uh, maybe some people might not be uh, familiar with, with that uh, you know, Channel Vass and Aptasia. At least I'm not. I haven't done my homework. Well, Channel Vass remains the holding company for the whole lot, and Optasia is the brand. Um, it's definitely a, a, a Swisher brand name. Uh, right. And, you know, they're involved. Channel in Vass has been a big part of the, the PSA for a lot, for several years now. So This is our, our seventh event, um, but we obviously missed two because of COVID. Right. Yeah. And the sponsor, Basim Haider, is very involved in squash. He loves it. Um, uh, we have frequent bloody challenge matches. I think he has a friend uh, that I work with here in, in Dubai, and he keeps uh, – I think he – I'm not sure if he has a son that lives here or Bassam. No, no I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but he has uh, – certainly the uh, there are some interests in Dubai. I know that. Yeah, I think he he might have a son here. So uh, he my my colleague keeps telling me I have to play squash against uh, or with Bassam. Bassam plays, right? Yeah, yeah, that will be yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, but uh, okay. We always have a battle. But what what what's what's quite funny? I I got down down there to play him the other day, and he had to, had Marwan warming him up before before me. Oh, really? He was warming up Marwan. Okay. Ref the fifth as well. All right. Well, uh, that's great. The the sponsor is really uh, uh, involved in in the squash aspect of it as well. He knows he knows the squash. So, uh, well, uh, also in terms of the event, I mean, you can't get much more exciting than this. Uh, unfortunately, with with Mustafa out there, are two uh, huge implications: uh, either Diego or Mohammed uh, could end up taking number one spot if either of them them win. Now. Uh, uh, the event as far as I, there are, there are other sort of scenarios, but I think bottom line, if Mohammed wins, he'll take over number one. If Diego wins, he'll take over number one. So how, how's that? I mean, that that's exciting stuff in and of itself right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we had that unique situation, didn't we? Where if ever Sal had played, all three of them could have become number one at, on the Monday following the Optasia. Um, as it, as it happens, um, yeah, Mohammed and Diego. I mean, Mohammed's worked his socks off, and he's he's retained, regained his mojo, hasn't he? I mean, he's yeah. really been in the zone. Unfortunate little pull he had there in Canary Wharf. Um, who knows what would have happened without that? Um, we've got Ali back in the mix as well. Mohammed's mm-hmm. uh, obviously been world number one and world champion, but it would be lovely to see him come back back there. De- Diego's. Again, he's his climb has been steady, hasn't it? I mean, he and he deserves, he definitely deserves a crack at the one, the one spot. Uh, so, yeah, it's fantastic. But I, I hope they both get there at a certain point. And this new new ranking system, where it um, you you can be ranked differently every week. In some ways, that's quite good because it allows people that chance and it adds a bit of public ex- excitement, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, I mean, neither of them have uh, easy draws either. I mean, uh, from uh, basically from their first match right on right on through, there's it's going to be uh, going to be a tricky uh, uh, road to the final. And I think uh, 
if all goes accordingly, uh, we might have a, a potential rematch between Diego and, and Joel Macon. Now, Diego will definitely want to have that one back. Yeah, I mean, again, there's another guy who's – it's all improving in increments, isn't it, when they, a lot of a lot of something you, – you'll get an occasional meteoric rise like Paul Cole, actually, when he won our tournament in 2016, and he, he sort of came – pretty quickly up there and that was the one that established him on the scene whereas a lot of the others are edging edging up incrementally um and they're into their respective positions and joel makin's one of those isn't he he's, he's just getting he seems to be getting tougher and yeah. and tougher i was i was super super impressed with the uh, canary uh yeah. with how i mean he the way he disposed of, I know I don't know what if Diego had any issues going into that match, but the way he played against Diego, he just really disrupted uh, his rhythm. Like Diego, as we all know, one of the he's a great rhythm player, and he's probably the most talented guy, arguably out there. Um, there are a couple read around that, but uh, I mean, Joel was just he wasn't just uh, fetching balls; he was hunting. He was hunting the ball out there, wasn't he? Hunting the ball, and that's the other I talk about is his. You know, he's just become tougher and tougher, but he's he's improved his movement, he's improved his shot playing. He he can he can mix it with all of the big boys now on a regular on a regular basis, and he's meant strong. And I think he puts stouts in the heads. I mean, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? I mean, like Charlie put doubts in Kandra's head last night, and and then his own belief soared. And I, I saw that in the Diego making that Diego started questioning himself and. Body language wasn't wasn't great, you know. No, towards exactly. the end, yeah. Joel, Joel, Joel capitalized on that, you know, and and that's that's where the hard hardest nails people are, are probably best at capitalizing, you know, seeing a chink and going for it. Yeah, that image of uh, I I won't forget it. The image of Joel uh, with the bloody eye uh, at the end of the match. Did, uh, was that against? Um, I think that was against Diego, wasn't it? Where he got his, uh, looked like he looked like Rocky at the end of the match. Or oh, the other, the other match. Yeah, I can't remember. But I... It was like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and he didn't, it, it didn't bother him. He was, he was as tough. He's as tough as nails. Uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and his body seems to absorb the, you, you know, the day after day grind of professional squash. I mean, whether it's best of three or best of five people say but oh, best of three is easy in some of the matches yeah they're, if they're one-sided they're a bit quick but now i'm one thing i noticed about canary war for the best of three the pace was phenomenal they play they all went go out of the blocks at a phenomenal pace and of course that that rips away at the body a bit uh in a different way from a, a longer match and um i think joel's resilience and the fact that he's still able to perform pretty equally they're all good at it but he, he he's got that thing where he can go through a, a tournament well excellent and uh, any any other uh, anything else about the the event that you want to uh, to discuss about Optasia any um, just delighted you guys didn't go with a two do you do you, what do you think of the two of three uh, format by the way well that's what I was just saying I, I, I enjoyed the close matches of Canary mm. Wall it's fantastic I I think when when somebody kicks off, I think one of the players made the point in the in interview. I think it was Gregoire Marsh uh, last night that um, if somebody gets the lead, it's really hard to come back, um, and it, and the match could be over quite quickly. 
and mm. um, it, it doesn't necessarily work for me. Uh, I I think that I think it's great for a variety. You know, yeah. I wouldn't want it every week because I think you lose that real gladiatorial. Yeah, that's what squash is all about. I mean, that that's the, the, the tradition of squash right there. You know, it's the gladiatorial aspect of it. You know, you... you yeah, know, and you somebody on. hanging on in there. And we had the... We had the... 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 the uh, Marsh... Uh, Waller match last night where Marsh was too... But the last two times they played in the Europeans, Waller had come back from two love against him. And as he said, it was always in his head as Waller won the third. And then there was always that chance. And, you, you know, we, and we had, as Ossie came back from um, well down against Lobin yesterday as well. I mean, that's, that's fantastic that people can claw their way back in psychologically and physically into these matches. And that's a, that's a great, um, you, you, you tend to have more of an epic best of five. Yeah, that's what we're used to, uh, you know, as squash uh, enthusiasts uh, of the of this game. You know, we we like the we like to see that comeback every now and then. Yeah, and two yeah. love down. Yeah. Have you ever yeah, been but I two... always... Have you Go ever on. back back in the day? I mean, uh, have you ever back when uh, with the old scoring to nine? Uh, it was uh, you know the comebacks were a bit you know more likely because I I can remember a few times being. Two love down and like a one eight or two eight down, and then you know coming back because you had the hand in and hand out on the serve, right? A- absolutely, and it's happened the other way to me as well because I probably um yeah the criticism of myself back in the days I was very fit and very naturally fit, but possibly yeah. didn't hadn't done some of the real extra stuff that they do that they do now, and I I yeah. blew a couple. It's, but that's again partly because I go off like a train and try and get them off three love, you know. So, <laughs> right, right. Then the pace, but obviously, yeah, there were matches where I came back from the dead a few times, and yeah. as you say, with the hand in hand out scoring, um, the flow could disappear, even though you might be might have been seven love up in a game to nine. Um, the guy gets a, gets the hand back. And it's one seven two seven three seven, and he's actually got the flow even though he's losing, and that's a weird concept, isn't it? Yeah. The guy with the ball in his hand, and he's about to serve, and he's 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 got the flow, and the the person felt it more, even the guy breathing down his neck. Yeah, yeah, because you knew you had to win a couple on the trot just to get back on track, right? So, uh, absolutely, it was two on two on the trot, and that happened quite a lot where you. Uh, there were matches that would love all after 15 minutes or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, now Danny, I just wanted to get back to talking a little bit about Charlie. Uh, uh, Rob Owen told me uh, a little while back that, uh, that he absolutely has the ability uh, to break the top 20. That's, that's it. That, you know, his thoughts and your estimation uh, right now, uh, and you mentioned sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Uh, what does he need to do to, to get there, well, it becomes it becomes a cons- consistency thing. I think we've got an un- unfortunate thing in the um, ranking where there's no divisors, so people from the Challenger Tour have struggled to get into the higher tournaments um, because you, it's basically your best ten tournaments, and if those guys can only play ten k's max, 
um, and everybody else is in the kind of hundred Ks plus, uh, that's that's quite hard to break through into the top fifty. I think once he does that, I think you know he's obviously his, his best is around the standard he played last night, which is top twenty standard. So it's just about sustaining it if he gets that big chance to play in mm. the Grand Prix in the kind of more elite events, if you like. And um, that that came in because of COVID. I think the no divisor thing. Uh, it works in favour for promoters and stuff because we get fantastic draws in in our, our events. But unfortunately, it sometimes keeps the slightly lower players out of a broader base of events. And we have another problem on the tour. There's not enough events between, say, 20,000 and um, 50,000 for those players that would act as a stepping stone to get them into the, into the higher echelon. So um, I think once... Once that's redressed, or then people like Charlie can then kick kick on, and once he's in that in the mix, he's got as good chance as any of getting right up there. Because as as Robert said, he's he's got the potential to go all the way, really. Yeah, um, I mean, you can you see it with a guy, another another guy who sort of had a little bit of success in early round matches, and he hadn't had the opportunity like Charlie to get into those the, the bigger events. But when he did, he took advantage of it. Uh, Abu Ali. Uh, Elianin, uh, the Egyptian young, young, young Egyptian player. He he he's still out on the outside looking in, but a couple of he's getting his name into some some of the bigger events now. That like Charlie had just done, he'd won uh, won his match against uh, Rafa last night. So hopefully that gives him sort of a, a an open door to a few more of those events. Absolutely, and then if they can get a big scalp, you know, I mean, you, he's just going to keep believing stuff. I think. Gawad, uh, uh, Charlie's got a big one coming up against, uh, I think, Mohammed El Shabagi next, isn't it? <laughs> Mohammed and I kind of we, we go back quite a long way because Mohammed grew up. He was like the world champion around Joe's time in Joe's junior days, um, and I've known him a long time. He played PSL in our winning team at St George's, so we have. Good relationship there. He's always been quite helpful with Charlie. I know Charlie's trained with him a bit, and, he, and um, of course, Bas, uh, Basim sponsors uh, Mohammed and, and and Marwan, and uh, yeah, and he, uh, him, Marwan and him shared an apartment with one of my pupils down in Bristol as well. So we um, we've known each other for a long time, and um, Charlie obviously look, looks up to Mohammed, thinks he's a great great player uh but he'll also know that he's in with the shout i think he played him in new zealand in the new zealand open on the glass court it was one of the kind of medium-sized tournaments that charlie was able to get into and um yeah he did he did really really well and it was at the business end of the games which he just lost out now with this improved mentality he's he's definitely got a chance of getting a game and then if he can get one he might be able to, might be able to get three you know yeah, i think that's no, it's, uh, it'll it'll be exciting for you, exciting for everyone there at, at the club uh, to see one of their own against one of their their previous uh, uh, one. I guess for St George's, anyways, one of the one of their previous own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. It's just, it's quite a. Mohammed doesn't play for St George's anymore, but um, yeah, it's more the Surrey area really that that where the people came out to watch Charlie last night. And hopefully, they'll come out again on. On Thursday, and uh, 
Yeah. There'll be a buzz about the place. Perfect. Um, now, when I spoke to Charlie a few weeks back, we talked about the shark, uh, Danny, uh, the prototype racket that was invented, I think, by one by your tennis uh, doubles partner, if I'm not mistaken. I think we talked about it on the last time you were on the pod. Uh, you swore by it back in the day. I, just, I Actually, before you came on, I watched the – there's a YouTube video of a young Danny Lee uh, speaking about the uh, the shark, uh, the racket, and how it's – uh, potentially going to revolutionize the game. Um, now you played the likes of JK and uh, Hitty Jahan, uh, Stuart Davenport, Adrian Davies. Uh, uh, and you said uh, you had more success with the shark than you had with other models. So just uh, in brief, uh, give uh, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the shark, uh, the beauty of it, and why was it a good fit for you? Well, the, the racket was... Um... Sorry, we've got a background. The, va- the very um, good racket ahead of its time. It was uh, made of high-quality carbon fibres, uh, which the guy knew would work for squash. It was better. Any graphite racket at the time was hollow. Um, he put a nice dampening core in it. He kept it light. He kept it strong. He put top-quality multi-filament technifiber in yeah. In nobody else was really doing that. I mean, and it it had a large it had a larger surface area, so of course I was I was at a slight advantage. And it, the selling point was the shape. The papers picked picked up on it. It was on a show called Tomorrow's World. It was on as you the thing you saw on the YouTube was Thames News. Um, so it it probably got more publicity for squash than than almost anything else ever. You know, it was like it was absolutely. <laughs> You know, I was getting phone calls from Japanese TV stations, you know. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> stuff like that. So it it actually worked um, as a racket. If I was to remodel it and bring it out now, I'm sure it would be absolutely fine. It need, would need a little bit of tinkering with the, the shape to make it a little bit more rounded for the clingers. You should you uh, should contact Harrow. Harrow, they're 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 a company that seems to sort of be innovative in that way. Uh, they seem to always try to push the envelope with at least yeah. ceramic the, the the aesthetic design. Now, uh, the that it seems like the shark has a, a combination of both uh, aesthetics and uh, and the quality of the racket. Yeah, well, it's just funny because the inventor's daughter, she's found all the. Um... He he died recently, and uh, she's found all the drawings in the attic. And uh, she's, can we do it again? <laughs> so that could, that could, uh, a shark. Anyone from Harrow or or even I Rackets or any of these new companies who really want to kind of break in and uh, you know make make some inroads, this is probably a good idea. Well, I'm actually with Stella, so I I mean, oh, we, Stellar. We, we, okay, okay. Well, sorry, Stellar. Yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, we're open to offers, but. Um, or I could even do it myself. I mean, that's what we, it's just a question of time, Jerry. I mean, it's hard to do about 20, 20 things properly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> At the same time, the, the kind of converse is that is ask a busy person to do something and they'll probably do it. Yeah. Well, you might get a few phone calls uh, depending on who, who's listening uh, to this episode, Danny, that'll be, that'll be exciting stuff for after, after the event maybe for you to uh to follow up on but um 
Definitely. Charlie told us about a great story, uh, and I'm not he wasn't sure if he was telling it accurately or not. The the match where you played uh, Adrian Davies, uh, but he wasn't sure about the details. It was when you broke the racket out at eight, eight all in the fifth. Yes. Get, get, uh, let, let's go back, uh, if you don't mind, and uh, revisit that one. I knew deep down it would wind Adrian Davis up completely if I went and got the shark out of my bag. Yeah, yeah. I, I did an assal, if you like. Waved my racket at the referee and just went off and changed it. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Del, Del Harris did it to me as well once in the British. Um, and uh, except he didn't come back with a shark. And I came back on with the shark and Adrian's face. And Adrian was still in still in hand. And he served and I hit a flat nick off the serve. And then I saw a little bit of a another flat, complete dead nick. And so literally played two rallies with it. And... Uh, it was it was good overhead. It was really it was a good racket. There was, as Charlie said, it the strings were sort of offset, and you got these unusual spins. And yeah. uh, literally, you, it was just, you'd I, played you'd played with it and practiced with it so many times that you knew uh, knew what you were you you could pull it off pretty. Oh, oh yeah, I played as a, I played full matches with Jahangir. I I did well with against Jahangir with it in the French Open. Um, it wasn't the best I did against him, but I, I think I got more points than the whole tournament combined in the first round with the shark. But it was very funny, JK's face when he when he he just looked at it and he just uh, I'll never forget that face when he saw it. And he said, "What the hell?" Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, and and when I took the first game off Hiddy and Hiddy was three in the world, you know he. He's he was going on about the racket being illegal. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you you I mean it was legal, right? I mean obviously you wouldn't have been playing with it if the tournament hadn't signed off on. I think they changed the rules of squash, the dimensions of the racket slightly to allow rackets like the shark, because the length was exactly the same. The surface area of the strings was greater. I think there was a rule slightly limiting them before. Um, and I think now they realize that there is, there's, there, obviously there's an optimum for size. So um, mm. I think that head size, I'm not quite sure on the, on the rules on the um, string area, but I think they said the string area could be a lot bigger and that was allowed. Yeah. I think yeah. it was seen as a, a good thing for the game. And um, it was just unfortunate they couldn't mass produce it. The prototype was fantastic. Uh, a lot of inventors have this have this problem where they're, you know, they're not businessmen. People try to exploit them, yeah. or they try to mass produce a product with inferior, and or you know they assume, and they assume that the guy didn't know what he was talking about, and he actually did. You know whether whether the the offset shape was just a novelty or what, but in terms of many many of the the features of the the shark. He was absolutely spot on. Well, let's bring the shark back. Let's see. Uh, let's see what happens in the aftermath of uh, episode two hundred and sixty of the In Squash podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be uh, that would be amazing to get it back. Yeah, in some in some shape or form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there there are a couple in the house that are not allowed to be touched. Correct? Not by him because he did it. He did it off center. He 
<laughs> okay. Uh, now, one of the actually obvious, Charlie mentioned what a, an impact you had on uh, on his uh, playing career, but something that I think was even more impressive in my conversation with him. Uh, I talked a little bit about you know Canada and and this great uh, club in Toronto called uh, the Horseshoe. And I'd mentioned that, uh, you know, some, some of our legend, you know, like guys like Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Young had all played in that venue. And he rattled off the names of uh, five or six different Neil Young songs for a guy 25 years old. Pretty impressed. Uh, you've obviously uh, taught your son well. He even said he knows uh, he could probably play uh, uh, Heart of Gold as well. So uh, um that uh, I, I, uh, the the version I put on Instagram there for the the background music was a live. I don't know if you if you heard it, a live Neil Young of Heart of Gold. It's one of my favorite, uh, but just the the guitar in that was amazing. So, uh, yeah. does Char did you uh, give Charlie a bit of a uh, Neil Young uh, tutelage from back? You know, back in the day, you you probably played a bit of Neil at home. Yeah, I always I always play Heart of Gold, and uh, but. I just think he he got into the so all those records are up on the on the shelves and um, funnily, funnily enough, Heart of Gold was one of the first songs that Jamie Hickox, my fellow squash player from the nineties, yeah, he he taught he taught me to play Heart of Gold and Needle and the Damage Done and those are my sort of go to when I pick up the guitar, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, Heart of Gold is, uh, I mean, I don't play very well at all, but I mean, I can play, and that that's one of the songs I, I, I can play, uh, limitedly. Yeah. But, uh, we should have had a Zoom jam, Jerry. Well, we can do that next time. Let's do it next time. We'll we'll get break out the guitars and uh, start the uh, maybe pre-Optasia next year. Okay. Yeah. Better get, better get practicing then. I will. I, I know you are. How's the band? Yeah. How's the band? How's the Danny Lee band going these days? We've done slightly less gigs because I've been traveling quite a bit lately. Um, but um, we've got, funnily enough, we've got one at the Wimbledon Club on the 15th of April, which is coming up. And we're doing one for the uh, Royal Tennis Club at Hampton Court, which is okay. the court, court tennis lot. And then we've got another one end of, in, in May, couple, another couple in May as well. So, yeah, okay. Okay, keeping yourself busy. More of a more of a summer thing, but it's a great a great hobby. We, you know, and if we do functions, we play loads of covers and dance covers and things like that. And if we do like just more more music nights, we slip in a few originals and play play things that aren't necessarily dancey and things that we like to play. So yeah, we've done well. What, done well. How would you describe the Danny Lee band? You guys play a lot of covers, like sort of the old rock classics, or. Uh... More like soft rock classics with a few, few, few harder ones and such. Anything we play things from the fifties to the, the, the teenies, if you like. Right on. Uh, that that's amazing. Uh, well, we'll have to uh, try to maybe. Do you do any live stuff like live online? Uh, any of those venues will be. Uh... Um. Occasionally, yeah. It's it's one of those things. It's a bit like when you're running a squash tournament. You think it's a good idea, and then you end up. Doing all the, the yeah. preparation, up all the sound, and doing doing all that, you know, it's like sometimes it doesn't turn out the way it should. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody sticks it sticks the camera up and does it badly. I mean, there's been a few good videos in the past, but not many. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, Danny, uh, 
Danny, really appreciate your time today. I know you, you've got a busy day ahead. The day is just starting. Uh, and no doubt this is the time where you got to lay the groundwork for the rest of the day. Uh, appreciate it. All the best with the event and uh, uh, all the best to, uh, to Charlie going forward in the event as well. Thank you very much, Jerry. And keep going with, with your podcast. It's uh, a great thing for the squash community. Well, many thanks to Danny Lee and all the best to him and his team at Uptasia. What a great event that's uh, turning out to be right now. Uh, some great matches upcoming here in the second round. Uh, I'm going to try to push this episode out right away so that uh, you can get to listen to it whilst the uh, event is going on. Big match, though, for Danny's son, uh, Charlie, playing Mohamed El Shabagi. And Mohamed, as we mentioned, looking to take over world number one again. And wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, can only imagine what it's going to look like on squash stories if that does happen but uh, Charlie's going to be out to play spoiler because this is a big opportunity for him and there are a lot of matches like that uh, in the second round coming up uh, starting tonight it should be really interesting we've got uh, the potential of uh, another Diego Elias and Joel Macon semi-final but Joel's going to have to get through uh, I think it's Marwan uh, El Sherbagi and we've also got uh, Ali Farag and I think Mohammed. Uh, El Sherbagi poised to uh, meet in the bottom half of the draw uh, as well. So uh, really interesting stuff there at Uptasia in London. Uh, many thanks again to Danny for coming on the pod. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your squash. And uh, we'll be talking to you very soon. We've got Jethro Bins coming on to talk about the Jonathan Power uh, documentary. That's coming up next in just a few short days. So take care. All the best and talk to you soon.